G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I breathe. I will bring this offering. You are my wonder. You bring the wonder. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome to more in our series about living dangerously. We're about to continue a message from last time about living dangerously with our finances. And note, Pastor Jeff doesn't say living recklessly with finances. As he continues in Malachi chapter 3, we see God is pretty clear that we are to test Him in this, to first give back our finances to Him and trust in His blessings. To catch the first part of this message or to hear other messages like this, search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's rejoin Pastor Jeff now for the rest of today's message. Next word, interesting word, try me. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Can you feel the tension in this room? I can see it on your faces. Well, brother Jeff, I've loved you up until now. Hey, You got to get the whole story from me, not just the parts you like. And here's the reality. My study was worth this one word for the whole week. And I owe some tribute, so I want to pay it with integrity. G. Campbell Morgan helps me understand the next definition of sacrilege. And a guy by the name, Dr. James McDonald, a great preacher, but he has some good things to say in regard to this verb. Try me, God says. It's the only time in the scripture that God says that to you. Test me, try me. Now, how many of you know what a gauntlet is? Okay, a gauntlet, medieval times, you wore an armored glove to protect your hand during a sword fight. Because if you couldn't hold the sword, you were in deep trouble. And so you wore this big armored glove. Now, if you got in a dispute with one of your friends or one of your enemies, and you could not come to any conclusion verbally, and one of the partners lost his cooler temper, he would take the glove that was called a gauntlet. 
He would take the glove and throw it down and said, you want some of me? You don't think I realize how you've insulted me? You don't think I know the meaning of your words? Let's go, you and me, get it on right now, right now, mano, mano, you and me together. And he would throw down the gauntlet. That's what this Hebrew word try me means. God is saying, you don't think I know what you make? You don't think I know what my part is? You don't think I know what you're thinking? That I can make good on my promises? Right now, you and me, one-on-one, let's go after it. And he throws down the gauntlet. And he says, you will not lose in this. You will not lose in this. If you return to me what is rightfully mine, you will win. Every time. Let's go, you and me, one-on-one. And that's why we go to the next word. After he's thrown down the gauntlet, he says, I will open up the windows of heaven and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Now, there's a bit of poetic licensing happening here. Follow me. Here's what God is saying. If you don't return to me what belongs to me, you are robbing me. And if you do that, he says, I want you to look up into heaven And imagine that there is this big window that has been closed because I cannot condone your disobedience. So the blessings that I would normally give you, I'm going to close behind a window and it will not be opened until you start giving to me what is rightfully mine and stop robbing me of what belongs to me. But if you do the right thing, I will then open the window of heaven and the blessings will God will stream out of God will stream out and they will be poured into your lap overflowing abundantly. Next word. The fifth word, rebuke the devourer. It's a phrase. And test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you. Now, no matter what translation you have, the devourer means the devil. God says, I promise to rebuke the satanic attacks in your life in the area of your finances if you obey me in this principle. Now, let me tell you something about this. This is not about God, if you don't tithe, coming down and punishing you and cursing you. Although he would have the right to do that. In the New Testament, the Bible says, God disciplines those whom he loves. And if he really loves you and knows that if you withhold from him what rightfully belongs to him, and by doing that, you close the windows of heaven, God is not happy with that scenario. He wants desperately because he loves you to give you blessings, but you stifle the progress. So God does have the right to do that, but it's not what this text is saying. And some of you have grown up in churches as I had a younger brother that grew up in a church where the pastor convinced him he was a walking dead man, that at any point God was going to zap him and kill him and curse him because he wasn't tithing. That's not what the Bible says. Although God would have the right to do that. It's not what the Bible says. He's saying that if you stop honoring me and giving me what rightfully belongs to me, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull back and I'm going to let the devourer have his way with you. I'm not going to protect you. I'll stop the devourer from getting to you if you obey me. But if you don't, there you go, free reign. Now, why would God do this? Well, first of all, what does it mean? When Robin and I went to New Zealand in my late 20s, very late 20s, We had made the transition from being missionaries in Africa to now being church planters in New Zealand. And after about four months in New Zealand with two new children, you know, Delaney was about two years and I think Sian's about a year, I realized that we had insufficient funds to survive. 
and I made a bad mistake. I stopped tithing. And let me tell you, let me tell you what happened. First of all, my church just stopped. Because how can I ask the people of God to do something that I, myself, first of all, am not willing to do? Second, the devil got a stronghold in my life because you know what happened? God withdrew his presence and I started making one bad financial decision after the next. Because when God withdraws, he's not there to lead and guide you. And so this insatiable appetite that you have, you don't have the restriction or the barrier that God says, no, stop, Jeff, this is not a good decision. But the devil loves it when you get in massive credit card debt. He loves it when you start to stockpile. He loves it when the bills start to come and you got this monkey on your back that's so heavy, it starts to deteriorate your marriage and all your relationships and what you're doing with your children. And God says, I want to stop, but I can't. Because if I do, I would be condoning your misbehavior because you're robbing me and you want me to step in now and repair your finances. No, I'm not going to do it. You're in blatant disobedience from what I tell you belongs to me. You are robbing God. And now here's the thing. So many of you have such a stronghold, whether you believe in uh, or not in the devil, that, that's, I don't care. I'm just telling you. Some of you, he has such a stronghold in your life in this area that right now you're making one of three excuses. You think I haven't heard these before? Number one, well, Jeff, I give my time instead of my money. Well, congratulations. Now fork over the cash. <laughs> you say, well, are you saying that God wants my time and money? No, I'm not saying, I'm saying he wants a lot more than that. This is just where you start. You start with your time and money. Because then it's evident to God that you're serious, that everything you have ultimately belongs to him anyway. And let me just tell you something. If you think that God can't get to your money because you don't give it, your God's about this big. Just because you're withholding it doesn't mean he won't get to it somehow. God is very clear. Number two. Well, Jeff, the Bible says to give with a cheerful heart. And if I give 10%, I'm not going to be cheerful. So let me get this straight. You're violating one principle of God in order to keep another one. Third, Jeff, I hear what you're saying. I will tithe as soon as I can afford it. You're missing the point. The 10% is not yours to decide. It's not yours to play with. You got 90% of all that you make to cover your bills and to do whatever you need to do. The 10% is not yours to borrow. It belongs to God. And I know what you do sometimes. God, it's a tough month, so I'm just going to borrow this 10%, but you'll never pay it back, and you know it. It's not yours to mess with. It belongs to God, and he says it's his. And this is why the sixth word comes into play, blessed. You want God to bless you when you're in blatant disobedience. 303 times the Bible uses the word bless. Literally, it means large or lengthy or a state of satisfaction or well-being. Now, let me illustrate the word. My daughter, Sion, I don't know how many of you know this. You probably do. But as I said before, when we came and made the decision that we would be here and all of our friends were worried about the earthquakes, I was concerned most of all for my daughter who had made friends back in Savannah. So I told you before, she prayed. We were praying for her. Find her some friends, man. God, can you find her a friend almost immediately? Little did we know there was a lady in the congregation praying that God would send a friend to her child and it would be the pastor's daughter. 
so that when they came together, I think it was like the first or second day of our existence here, this little girl says, God told me I'm going to be your best friend. They've been best friends ever since. Now, I don't see her anymore, which is sad to dad because she's always hanging out with his family. But the reality is, I remember a few months ago, Sian came to me and said, Dad, it's going to be a great weekend. My best friend's coming over for the whole weekend. We'll get here on Friday night and we'll stay through Monday. It's going to be wonderful. And her friend did show up. She was there about an hour, maybe. And then her parents called me on the phone and said, uh, Jeff, we're going to have to come and get our daughter. I said, oh, why? And when they returned home, they opened the mail from Friday. And they'd gotten a letter from her teacher that said she's failing in the conduct area. And so her parents thought it best not to reward that behavior, but immediately came and collected their daughter and explained, this is not appropriate and we cannot reward this kind of misbehavior. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? God does the same thing with us. You want him to come in and open up the windows of heaven and bless you financially when you're in the middle of blatant disobedience and there's no way God can do that because he's not going to condone what you're doing and how you're living. Okay, Jeff, what are you trying to say? <laughs> Number one, disobedience in tithes and offerings is stealing from God. It's a principle that goes way back before the law. It's the way God set up the creation scenario. Will a man rob God, verse 8, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offering. Now, here's my best guess. My best guess is that if you're stealing from God in this area, it's probably the only area in your life that you're stealing. Anybody have a $100 bill? Don't be shy. Okay, do you have it with you? I need it. He's, he's digging. Oh, he does too. And it's a, ooh, it's a nice one too. Thank you. And his wife said, where'd you get that? Did you hear that? <laughs> All right, $100 bill. Okay. I'll say it though, that's not a very good illustration. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. $100. All right, I'm going to put this in my pocket. Now, if I leave here today and I do not return this to you, and week after week goes by, and you don't want to mention it because it's awkward, what do you start to think about your pastor? This guy's a thief. My pastor's a thief. That doesn't belong to him. It belongs to me. Now, if I have any sense of character at all, any integrity, just the tiniest wee little bit, what am I going to start to feel when I pull this out of my pocket and realize I have something that belongs to somebody else? I am going to feel the guilt associated with being a thief. The only time that is not true is when the Spirit of God has convicted me for so long and I have said, I don't believe it, and he stops convicting me so that I become a character found in Romans 2 where the darkness is so dark I can no longer see the light. And some of you are in that place. You say, Jeff, are you saying that I have God's money in my pocket. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's not in mutual funds. Some of you are driving God's money. Others, you are living in it. I better give that back to you. <laughs> the point is, if you're disobedient to God in tithes and offerings, I want you to know, man to man, man to woman, man to teenager, man to little girl, little boy, whatever, you are stealing from God. Number two, stealing from God has significant consequences. Now, I want you to think about this again for a moment. 
Think about the insult from God's perspective. Look at it from his side. Most of you in this room came to a time in your life when you said, you know what? I am separated from God because of my sin and God has done so much for me. He's given me these blessings. In reality, no matter what happens to me in the rest of my life, the one thing I needed to be taken care of the most has been taken care of by Jesus on his cross. And now I am in a right relationship with, with the Father and I will live throughout eternity with him and some of that eternal living begins now. And I'm enjoying what God is giving. So you came in and today it catalyzed worship and you sang songs like, Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. And you stood and you were happy and you sang, happy day, you washed my sins away. And then you sang, Hosanna, everything I am for your kingdom's cause. And then comes the offering plate. And we say, God, help us now as we give back to you a portion of what you've given to us. And for most of you, it's a pretty small portion. And here's the deal. As the offering plate goes by, look, it's not how much you give, it's how much you make. If you're a little girl who gets an allowance, if you work at home and get paid for mowing the lawn, if you're in college and you have a job, it's not how much you, how much money you have or how much you give, it's how much you make. And every time the offering plate goes by, every person in this room has a decision to make. Will I or will I not be obedient to God in this matter? Folks, let me tell you, there are serious consequences to disobedience. The first is this. It's not on the, in your bulletin, but I encourage you to write it down. The absence, if you're disobeying God, then there is the absence of God's protection on your finances. If you decide to go it alone, then you're going to go it alone. When you became a believer, you have to see your life as like a house. And every room that you willingly give to God, he will come in, sweep it clean, bring restoration, make it effective and productive. But if you hang a sign over the door of the house of your life where your finances are concerned and it says, no trespassing God, do not come in, then God will respect your free will and he will not become involved in your finances. And if you decide to go it alone, then you're going to go it alone. Number two the guilt regarding the hypocrisy. When you praise and worship God and you talk about all his goodness and then you fail to return to him what is rightfully his, do you understand that? That's why God uses the word rob because it does not belong to you. It's his. And you fail to return it, then you know you're living a lie. You know you're living a sham. You know you're living a pretense because you know clearly what the Bible says to do and you're not doing it. But there's a worse result. When difficult times occur and your finances get tight and tough, if you've been giving to God what belongs to God, it's amazing the amount of peace you'll have in the midst of a financial storm because you'll know you've been giving to God what belongs to God and that God will walk with you through this difficult circumstance. You know he's on your side. But if you do not give to God what belongs to him and financial trouble comes, you're going to live your entire life wondering if God is over to the side somewhere saying, see, I told you I'm not involved. You need me involved. Stop robbing me of what belongs to me. That's why I come to the third part. Financial partnership with God brings significant blessing. 
Number one, disobedience and tithes and offerings, stealing from God. Stealing from God has significant consequences, but financial partnership with God brings significant blessing. Now, listen carefully. There is a cause and effect relationship between tithes and blessings from God. But blessing does not always mean money. No matter how many times you hear that from the televangelist, just put your hands on the screen and then go out to your mailbox and wait for the checks to come in. No, doesn't happen that way. Now, God sometimes will bless you financially, but God does not promise that if you obey him in this, listen, you're doing it because it's right. Not because you're thinking, well, if I give this to God, what's he going to give to me? That's so much of an American psyche. If I give you this, you've got to give me something. God says, okay, I'll give you the ability to work and earn a, a wage. How about that? I breathe life into you so that you can walk and talk. How about that? Now you give me what belongs to me. And there is such peace in this. I know a man right now who all of his life, he has made an incredible amount of money. He's somebody in our family. Lots of money, and he's been incredibly generous. He has given away more and more and more. But now he has a job or an occupation that is affected by the economy. And you know what he's doing? He's at total peace. He's not stressed. He knows he has done what God has required, and he knows that God will walk with him through this endeavor. There's an enormous amount of peace that comes when you know you're doing what God has called you to do. I got another friend in Savannah, Georgia. He's in real estate, but he's given to God all of his life. He even told me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to outgive God. He told me that a couple of years ago. I'm going to try to outgive God. The more God gives me, the more I'm going to give away. And he did that. Just kept doing it. He said, the blessings just kept coming in. And the more I gave, the more I got. However, Jeff, now the market's tough. We're walking a thin line. But Jeff, God has blessed me so much because he showed me and my family that we can live with so much less and our joy can come from each other rather than monetary gain. So the blessings are still pouring out, Jeff. And yes, I'm still tithing out of what I make. That brings me to the final point. Faith comes before miraculous provision. Faith comes before miraculous provision. Who acts first? Who makes the first move? Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, here's my desire. I'll tell you what, God, I'm not convinced about this, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You reward me. You get me out of debt. Help me pay off the credit cards. Get me a new boat, a new house, a new car. And I'll tell you what, when that happens, then I'll start tithing. Listen to me. Uh-uh. It does not work that way. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. God says, no, you first. You make the first move, show me that you're going to honor me, and then I'll get involved in your finances. And the reality is, you make the first move right now when you walk out of here. But rest assured, your motivation cannot be because, hey, if I give God this, he's going to empty up the, he's just going to pour down financial blessings, give me all this stuff. No, you're making the decision to do it because it is not your money. It belongs to God. You're simply returning what belongs to God in the first place. And the best way that you can recover from any financial difficulty you're in, even if you're young, if you've just started out and you're married, start tithing now, because here's what it'll do. It'll get God involved, and he will rebuke the devourer. 
and to keep him from destroying your marriage and your relationships and having that burden on your back. But you've got to take the first move, not knowing exactly how God will do it. But just remember this. Some of you have spent 20 years getting in financial bondage. It's going to take God a while to get you out of it. And you make the first move by giving to God what is rightfully his. Father, we're thankful for the truth of Malachi 3. We're thankful that we are people who receive not only the blessings and the encouraging conversation and the teachings of Jesus that he will be with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But Father, we want to be a people who also understand the cost of discipleship, that we follow you. And when we choose to follow you, that means we bring everything, all of us into that relationship. And I pray that we would not discount the power of this truth, that we indeed would see everything that we have as coming from you. And when we return the top 10% of everything that we have, it's that sign that there's been an inward transformation, an understanding now that that belongs to you. And we no longer want to rob you of what is rightfully yours, but as a sign of our understanding of what is true and what is real, we now give to you what is rightfully yours. Help us to have the courage to do so in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.